going to ask you to do something you're not going to hear me say very often, but I want you to take your Bible and I want you to close it. (laughs) And if you use your phone, put that away. If you use your phone for other than looking at the Bible, just put that in your pocket. Give God some attention today. Uh, What I want to do to begin with is last week we began our series on the Beatitudes. And so last week what we did is we, we began this study as an introduction to where I wanted us to take a look at the Beatitudes as a whole, to see how it all flows together, how it all works. And so we did kind of that bird's eye view, like we're a plane flying over the forest. And in the weeks to come, beginning today, we're landing the plane and we're getting to take a look at some of the individual trees. And what I had encouraged and challenged you to do last week was to read the entirety of the Beatitudes, all, I know, all 12 verses, every day take you like two minutes, not hard, but so that we become familiar with them. So that way we begin to just take them to heart and to know this scripture really, really well. And so what I wanted to see is if today, just a little bit of fun, bit of trivia, a little bit of a game time, the first beatitude is what we are studying today is blessed are, and then it's fill in the blank. Does anybody know what today's is? Blessed are, um, I saw Lauren's hands first. Lauren, what is it? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And so what she won today is this lovely watermelon. I'm not, I am not beyond bribing you to read your Bible. And, and so this is what I want to encourage you to do is next week study again because there might be another quiz. Is it going to be what's the second beatitude? I don't know. It could be. It might be something different. Will it be a watermelon? Probably not. <laughs> okay. This has nothing to do with the sermon. So this week, Tiffany was like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to give him a prize. And she's like, well, what did you get him? And I was like, a watermelon? She goes, well, why? What does that have to do with being poor in spirit? And if you know me and my brothers and my dad, we, we can shoehorn anything. And I was like, well, when you cut open a watermelon, you can kind of see your reflection in the fruit. And it's like a mirror. And that's what we're trying to see when we're poor in spirit, is recognize our spiritual condition. The other thing I just want to... Geez, don't shake your head at me. <laughs> and so... And so <laughs> she knew I was talking about it. That's not fair. <laughs> and so the other thing I wanted to mention is also this Friday, we have a July 2nd, 4th of July celebration. So Lauren, I can't tell you what to do with your prize. This is your gift. But if you want to bring it, I, I like watermelon. I was just saying, uh, it's delicious. And so you can pick up your prize afterwards because I don't want to carry that back there right now. So Today, this is where we're beginning, is we are going to take a look at blessed are the poor in spirit. And what we saw, you can open your Bibles now. Go to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And, and before we, we, we move any further, let's just read, again, these 12 verses. Just take a look at the Beatitudes as a whole. And then again, we'll, we'll zero in on verse 3, the first Beatitude. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And this is where Jesus, he's really hit that crescendo of his ministry. He's got a large crowd. They've come from all over to come and hear him speak. And this is what he says. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, 
for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So last week when we read over this and we studied just this introduction, we saw that this idea of blessing comes from something from the outside. It's an external source that is blessing you. And what we find is that when God, when Jesus is declaring blessing upon you, He is the external source. And so as a result of this outside source who has the power and the ability to bless you, what we get to experience is an internal deep joy. That's what this blessing is all about, that we are blessed. And this is what my desire, one of my desires and hope for every single one of you that is with us today, or if you're watching with us, is that you can leave this space today and you can know that you are blessed by God. Hashtag blessed. I'm blessed. I want you to know that truth and that reality within your life. And so perhaps the question should be, well, who does God bless and why and, and how? And we're, we're about to dive in and find out at least from this first beatitude this morning. But, but before we deep dive into it, I just want to remind you of something that we said and looked at last week is that the blessing of God in your life has nothing to do with your practice of, of what it is that you are doing. It also has nothing to do with your possessions. There's no means by which we are going to purchase or be able to buy the approval or the blessing of God. It's not your practice. It's not your possessions. It has everything to do with your posture. It has everything to do with the posture of who you are and your heart. And we're going to see the beginning of that here this morning in Matthew 5, verse 3. And so, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we hear that term poor, oftentimes we think of the idea of uh, financial gain. And, and it's interesting because most people, when they read this, they, they think, well, if I'm going to be blessed, or if I'm going to have, some people take blessed to be happiness, which that's not what he's saying, but, but what we're looking for, a lot of us in this life, is how can I experience happiness, comfort, release, relief, whatever it may be. And a lot of us think it has to do with something that's socioeconomic. It has to do with financial gains or, or means. And what's interesting is, I know I reference music from time to time, but in 1988, there was uh, the first a cappella song that was released that hit the, the Billboard Hot 100. It was, num- it was number one for two weeks by a man by the name of Bobby McFerrin. Does anybody remember what song he sang? Yeah? What is it? Did you know Susie? Don't worry. Be, did you use your phone, Kirk? Okay, good. All right. Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. I remember, I remember just bopping to that song whenever I was a kid, and I was just like, man, I, I just want to go to the beach, and I just want to not worry, and I just want to be happy. And, and, it, and it really resonated within our country that we just want to have this sense of happiness. There's another song that was released just nine years later as a single that was released by um, guest vocals of Mace and Sean Puff Daddy Combs. I know some of you are listening to it. And it has to do with uh, Mo Money, Mo Problems. It was, given, it was written by Notorious B.I.G. This was his song. It was huge. And the sad reality is this was released after his death. 
I mean, it had achieved critical acclaim, I'm sure all kinds of royalties, everything that he would desire that would come out of this song, fame, notoriety, riches, he didn't even get to experience. So often we, we look to the things that are external, at, that are out there, to bring us our, our happiness or our joy or our comfort. And what Christ is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is these are his opening words to this crowd. This is how he starts his sermon. And, and frankly, it would have been quite shocking to them that he would make this kind of statement, especially early on. Now, I, I do want to stress to you, when he says that deep inner joy are for those who are poor in spirit, he, he's not talking about socioeconomics. He's not talking about money. He, he's talking about those who are keenly aware of being spiritually destitute. Those of us who you come to a point of you realize, I need to be utterly dependent upon God if I'm going to have anything. One man wrote, I love what he had, he said, those who are poor in spirit, these are spiritual paupers who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy. They recognize the truth of the situation. They see themselves in comparison to the glory and to the standard and the holiness of God, and what they see, they recognize is, is lacking, and there needs to be some help that I'm poor, that I'm bankrupt. And I was thinking about this as just kind of like an illustration of sorts, is you, you've seen and I've seen, there have been those who have maybe without realizing, they, they don't understand their current physical state, and yet you see someone who has the latest iPhone in their hand, they have about five or six streaming services coming into their house that they're paying for on a monthly basis, they're going out to eat, they're living beyond their means, and they're continuing just to rack up debt, and they themselves not only go hungry, but their children and their spouses also are going without and are hungry, and bottom line is sometimes People in that situation, they don't even recognize the situation they're in, but they continue going down the path. There has to come that moment where hopefully a friend comes along and says, you're living outside of your means and it's hurting you and it's hurting your legacy. It's hurting your family. Do you recognize the state that you are in? And this is Jesus saying, you need to recognize the state that you are in spiritually. Another way to perhaps phrase it is, blessed are those who are uh, who are not spiritually arrogant. The spiritually arrogant are generally, I believe, individuals wrestling with one or two. In my life, it's been both at times, but one or two specific areas of life, and that is self-sufficiency and self-righteousness. Now, what do I mean by self-sufficiency? Self-sufficiency has everything to do with the guy who is, who is lost, the guy who uh, would, would say, you know what? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to figure it out. I, 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 I know the answer. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to get this taken care of. I'm going to do what I need to do. I don't need anything or anyone. In fact, if I do have to lean upon someone to help me in my situation, that is nothing but weakness, and I will not be dependent upon any soul. And this is the thing, like, as an American, I love the fact that we have an independent kind of mentality of when you kind of are born and raised and you're kind of growing up, my parents are like, it's time to get, get out of here and get out of the nest. And it's time to be on your own two feet and, and, and take care of yourself and take care of your, your bills and your finances and your responsibilities. But if we're not careful, we can go so far with that that we, we don't teach the next generation or ourselves that dependency is, is sometimes okay. Because it, 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 we recognize that we can't figure it all out. We need someone greater than us to help us with this spiritual need. 
And so self-sufficiency, if we're not careful, it, it will wreck us because we don't understand our need. The other is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is the one where I would say this is the church guy or gal. It's, it's you sitting where you're sitting. It's me standing up here. It's we've come into settings like this, and we've sat around, and as we're going to do later today, in circles and discuss the Bible. We, we know the religious scene. We, we know how to say the right things. I'm going to give a, 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 a praise the Lord, a hearty amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the things that you do in the life of, of the church because I, I know how to play this game. And I'm going to go to Bible study after Bible study after Bible study, which is, I love Bible study. But the word that you are studying, the truth of what you are studying, has it ever permeated and saturated into your heart? Have you received that truth? Self-righteousness are completely unaware that they are in need of someone else's righteousness, not their own. Some of you may re remember this. Some of you may be too, too young to, to remember this. Uh, I was born kind of in that stage where I had life really before the Internet and then after the Internet. And I can remember growing up and whenever my family decided it's time to go on vacation, and let's say we were going to go down to San Antonio or if we were going to go to different parts of Texas or to the beach, what would happen is is uh, we would get in the car, and we had, to, we had to put time into the journey and the drive, not just to get to our destination, but to find a hotel where we were going to sleep. We, we, we weren't able just to call up because long distance was super expensive to call back then, and we didn't have the internet to try to get a hotel reservation. We would just show up, and it was like, it's going to be probably Motel 6 or whatever is available, and we would drive around for probably on average 30 minutes to an hour just going from hotel to hotel. Is there vacancy? Are there rooms available for us? We'll put all five of us in there. We'll make Steven sleep in between two chairs. That happens. And so <laughs> it, it's, it's one of those things of, is there room available this is what I want to tell you about the issue of self-righteousness and self-sufficiency. The kingdom of heaven has no room for the self-sufficient, but plenty of room for those who find their sufficiency in Jesus. And before you go, yeah, that's true, is that you? The kingdom of heaven has plenty of room for the self-sufficient, or has no room for the self-sufficient, but plenty of room for those who find their sufficiency in Jesus. The kingdom of heaven also has no room for the self-righteous, but plenty of room for those in Christ's righteousness. We sang so much today. I don't know what that second song was, but it was great. And th there's so much of our need for Jesus in our life. Without him, we are nothing. You have to come to a point, if you want to be blessed by God and experience that internal joy that just can't be described because of the reality of what we're about to look at, which is, I know the kingdom of heaven is mine, not because of what I've done, not because of my sufficiency, not even because of who I am. My righteousness is just nasty, it's filthy rags, but because of him. Do you recognize your spiritual state? And for some of you, maybe today, you're, you're kind of waking up, the scales are coming off of your eyes of, <laughs> I am spiritually bankrupt without God. And for others of you, maybe it's a time for us, and this is good, for us to go back and look at our story and go, <laughs> Without God, I, I, I am so lost. It's good for us to be reminded of our story of when we came to a recognition, a point of I am poor in spirit. And can I tell you, friend, if you've never come to recognize that you're poor in spirit, but you think you are saved, you're missing something because Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is only for those who are poor in spirit. It's not to scare you. 
but it's to share the truth with you. So that's the first thing. That's the blessing. The blessing is uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Here's the explanation. It's that structure of the Beatitudes, blessing explanation. The explanation here is for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, kingdom of heaven is just another way of also saying kingdom of God. Don't have the time to get into all the nuance of it, but basically Matthew talking to primarily a Jewish audience when he wrote this gospel, they didn't like to use God's name just randomly or flippantly, so they hardly ever used the name of God, if ever, and so he would just reference and say heaven. So pretty much a synonymous term. So the kingdom of heaven, it says, uh, Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of, of, of heaven. So well, who is the king of this kingdom? We recognize that the king of this kingdom is Jesus. Jesus said, and it's not on the screen, but in Matthew 4, right before this sermon, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so he's declaring that the kingdom is being ushered in, it's being inaugurated, because why? The king has, has shown up. And what Jesus is saying is, Jesus is saying, he, I, I reign over those within my kingdom now, and I promise you to be a part of my kingdom in the future. And you go, well, what does that mean, now and, and in the future? Well, Take a look at this for just a moment, a little bit of the technicality. Is, is, is that up there? Can we go to 5.3, uh, if you don't mind? Do you mind finding 5.3? I want to show them something. So you say, what do you mean by that? Uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look at chapter 5, verse 3. This is not to get like super, super technical, but, but it, it is something that's there within the text. When it says there is the kingdom of heaven, that's, that's, a, that's a present tense verb, that means theirs is, it's now, it's presently, it's currently, it's ongoingly, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And this is, this is what's so cool to me. Okay, so this is the first beatitude. And the only other beatitude that also mentions the kingdom of heaven being yours or being theirs is the last and the eighth beatitude found in verse 10. That's not on the screen. That's why you bring your Bible. And so what happens is, is in the first and the eighth beatitude, there's this bookend of present tense you're going to be blessed, and the, the result of that blessing is the kingdom of heaven is yours currently, presently, ongoingly. All of the other Beatitudes in between, Beatitudes 2 through 7, which are found in verses 4 through 9, every single one of them say, as an example, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. All of the ones in between the first and the last Beatitude, they're all future tense. And what Jesus is saying is, you're going to get to experience the blessing of the truth and the reality of a deep inner joy and in the kingdom that is here and now because I'm on the scene, and you're going to get to experience it in the future as, as well. You, it, it's, it's this both and kind of idea. And, and again, th this is a study, this is a teaching of doctrine within our, within our faith. And what this simply means is that the kingdom is both present in your life right now and the kingdom is yet to come. And you might be saying, well, how, how does that work? Well, again, the kingdom is being realized in your life right now because of Christ as king in your life now, but the kingdom is still yet to come. It's here, yet it's coming. It's coming, yet it's here. It's, it's, a, it's a teaching that we might say, like in layman's term, it's called an already not yet eschatology. It's an already not yet kind of teaching of the end times that we get the kingdom now, but we're still awaiting the, 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 the glory of the kingdom that is to come. All that to say, you want to be a part of this kingdom. You want to be a part of his kingdom. And, and this is the sad truth, and I think you've experienced this with friends in your life. I have not yet one person who says, I want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. 
Everyone wants to go to heaven. This guy, we got to be careful, especially when we work with kids and you fill them full of cookies and Kool-Aid and you're like, a VBS, you're like, who, who, wants to, who loves Jesus? Every, I love Jesus. Who wants to go to heaven? I want to go to heaven. We got to talk to them about their spiritual condition and see that they are poor in spirit because everybody wants to go to heaven. Hopefully everyone wants to be a part of this kingdom, but to be a part of it, it's all exclusively linked to Jesus. And this is what I want to mention to you, follower of Jesus, in, in this moment. Please do not live, do not live for the kingdoms of this world, for they do not last. I, I, I've experienced in ministry of seeing people at a camp situation or in a situation like this or in someone's living room, and, and they give their life to Christ, and I have no idea the condition of their heart, the, the genuineness of their cry to the Lord. And I, I can't help but step back and go, I'm not God, I'm not judge, I'm not jury, but, but did you just simply sign up for fire insurance or did you give your life to Jesus? What kingdom are you living for? Because the way that you march and the way that you live your life looks like you're a part of not a kingdom that's outside of this world. It looks like you're a part of a kingdom that's within this world. And friend, this is the sad reality and the truth of the situation. If we live for the kingdoms that this world has to provide or the culture that this world has to provide, it, it, it's going to rust and it's going to fade away. That's why as a church, we hold fast to the authority of God's word and we don't compromise with it, not to be jerks, but because this is eternal and everlasting. We, don't, we, don't, we aren't swayed by the winds of culture and what, what's the, the new trend and the new thing. We stay true to his everlasting word because his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. We want to live for the kingdom now because it lasts. I, I really enjoy history. And so if you look over the course of history, you had the great power. We'll go back as far as Egypt. I've always wanted to go to Cairo and be able to see those mighty pyramids that were built and be able to see just what it is that they accomplished and for the longest time, everyone in that day and time was like, nobody's going to be more powerful than Egypt. And then there was this little startup kingdom called Assyria. And the Assyrians began to gain power. This was when Jonah was around when we studied through the book of Jonah. And when the Assyrians got into power, they got into power quick, fast, and they were terrifying. Everyone at that time, Jonah and all of his friends were like, I can't wait till they get torn down. But how is that even going to happen? Because that is a terrifying kingdom. But just a few hundred years later, here comes Babylon. You remember King Nebuchadnezzar from the Bible? He shows up. He lays waste to Jerusalem, the people of God, the people of Israel. He even takes some of the choicest and brightest and the best of those within the kingdom of Israel. He takes Daniel and he takes Hananiah, uh, Azariah, and the, the other guy, Mishael. And he takes these guys and he takes them back to Babylon to brainwash them and to live for the Babylonian kingdom. But they remain true to the, to the kingdom that is everlasting. And no one thought that Babylon, with all their, just their, their grandeur, would ever fall. And then, literally, in the middle of the night, the Medes and the Persians, they make their way under the walls, and they take out that great Babylonian empire. But you see, throughout all of this, God is at work because it's his redemptive history. It's his everlasting kingdom. And what he's getting prepared and set up is like, yeah, there's going to be consequences for you disobeying and not being poor in spirit. And so, here comes judgment. And here comes you being uh, basically in exile with Babylon. But, but 70 years later, you're going to come back. And he works in the life of the Persian king Cyrus. You read at the end of Second Chronicles. He works in the heart of this king uh, Cyrus of Persia. And, he, and Cyrus, he doesn't care about the things of God or the people of God, but he says, Israelites, you can go back to Jerusalem and you can begin to rebuild. You can build your temple. 
Later on, Nehemiah shows up so that he can help rebuild the walls. Why? The king is coming. There are things that have to be taken care of in order for this kingdom to be prepared for the king is coming. Not only do we find that there is uh, uh, the, the Medes and Persians, but the Medes and Persians, they eventually are laid waste by Alexander the Great and the, and the, and the Greeks. Alexander the Great, in just literally like a 10-year span, by the time he was 23 to 33, conquered the known world. It was just, it was incredible to see his display of power and his military might. Made it all the way to India and just had this great empire. And you know what's happening in this moment? God allows this to happen in order that the Greek language becomes what the English language is today. It was the common language of business and commerce and travel. So everybody knew Greek. So that way there was a common language to know how to communicate with one another. Why would God want to do that? Maybe he's got something to communicate. And then as Greece rises, then Greece falls, even though they have the mighty armies of Sparta and they have all these great philosophers and all this intellect, and then comes Rome. And Rome then has a kingdom that had not even been seen. The Egyptians, we thought they were something. The Assyrians, we thought they were something. The Babylonians, man, they seemed awesome. But Rome had this incredible empire, and it's in the midst of the Roman Empire that, that as it says in Galatians 4, this was the appointed time for, for a woman to, 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 to give birth to a son, that the king is now on the scene and then Jesus, he lives his life from the age of zero to about 30, and now he's at the beginning of his ministry, and he's showing up and saying, the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you look at that, and you go, okay, so the kingdom of heaven is here. It's been inaugurated, but what do you mean by it's still coming? Because, friends, the king came, the king conquered, but he didn't conquer in the way that a lot of people thought he was going to conquer. He conquered something far more important than some political empire, some military empire. He conquered sin and death. And then he goes from there and he says, he says, I'm coming again. There's going to be the return of the king and the kingdom will then be established now and forevermore. When I came the first time, the kingdom was inaugurated. When I come the second time, the kingdom is going to be consummated and the king is, kingdom is still everlasting. Are you a part of it now so that you will be a part of it then? Are you a part of the kingdom and the only way for it to be yours, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So you've got to be poor in spirit and live for the kingdom that is everlasting. When Jesus uses the word, uh, for theirs is the kingdom, th this was used in such a way that it would have shocked uh, the listeners at the Sermon on the Mount. The, the Pharisees and, and even his disciples would have been like, whoa, 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 you're saying the poor in spirit, they get the kingdom? Because again, self-righteous, self-sufficiency. It's this idea of like, no, 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 I, I'm doing the religious thing. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't been sleeping around. I've been keeping the law as best as I can. I, I would not consider myself poor in spirit because that's, that's, that's weak. And Jesus is saying this, and it does. It shocks them. The prize or the promotion that you thought you would receive, the kingdom of heaven, it's not yours unless you're poor in spirit. You ever been shocked or surprised not to receive something? Seventh grade basketball tryouts. I'm still bitter. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm telling you, I, it, I assumed I would make the team. And I'm not just saying this. Even my friends were like, he'll at least be on, he'll probably be on the starting five. I mean, he's the best dribbler we got in our school. He's the best passer we got. He's got a pretty decent shot, but he's like, he's a point guard. He wants to run the court. He wants to run the, the floor. And the coach, I make it through the first cut, second cut, third cut. I'm even just like, ah, I'm going to be fine. And I know what number I want. And then all of a sudden I don't make that final cut and I'm crushed. I'm shocked. How could you not want me? 
And the coach pulled me aside and he told me, you didn't make the team because you're too short. I still want to kick him in the shins. <laughs> it's, it's so frustrating. I didn't have a quality that he was looking for, and he had the authority to exclude me. I didn't have the quality of height. And in a shocking way, Jesus is saying, if you don't have the quality of recognizing that you are spiritually destitute and bankrupt, what you think is awaiting you, and sometimes as Americans who've grown up in the South, you've knocked on doors. We've asked people, if you die tonight, do you think you go to heaven? Probably. A lot of us think that's where our kingdom is. How do you know? I know the kingdom of heaven is mine, not based on me, but based on him. And I had to come to a point where I recognized my spiritual need for him. What's what's interesting, we don't have time to get into all this. We just really don't. But um, Jesus is also pulling these words from the Old Testament. He pulls them from Isaiah 61. And... uh, You know how sometimes your teacher would give you a hint about a quiz? Remember Isaiah 61, watermelon. Um, (laughs) In Isaiah 61, there's actually a lot of, of, of words that come out of there that you're like, oh, that sounds like the Sermon on the Mount. That sounds like the Beatitudes. Yeah. Jesus is is using these words, and again, I don't have time to get into it, but in Isaiah 61, there's this passage, and what's what's great is in Luke's gospel account, stay with me, in Luke's gospel account, Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes into a synagogue, some people hand him the scroll of Isaiah, and they want him to read and to teach, and so he opens it up, and he goes straight to Isaiah 61, and he begins to read that passage, and when he's done, he goes, quote, today this is fulfilled in your ears. The king is here. The king has arrived, and the king shall return. Friends, do you know that the king is coming? Is he coming for you? So how do you get blessed by God? Who gets blessed? Who gets into the kingdom of God? It's simple, but yet it's difficult. It's those who admit their need, and that's hard for us to do at times. It's those who admit a spiritual poverty. It's what we sang, and what I asked them to sing if they would, just that, that, that third verse from Rock of Ages, nothing in my hands to God I bring, simply to the cross I cling. If that is your heart and your attitude, friend, you are blessed because you are poor in spirit. As we wrap up, the Bible tells us that, again, we don't, we don't buy the approval of God by the things that we possess, the things that we own. God's approval is not for sale. His approval or His blessing is a gift to those, to you, who acknowledge your need. Some of you say, I hope I'm not good enough. Someone else has to be good enough for me in my place. His name is Jesus. I'm I'm not sufficient in myself, but I need someone that will be more than sufficient for my lack. His name is Jesus. I'm not righteous. Good. He's righteous. And you need his righteousness to be imputed upon your life. You may not You may not believe this because maybe what people have told you in your life or words that you have heard that have been harmful or hurtful, but I want to tell you that every single one of you that is in this room, that's watching online, and even in years to come, every one of you are beautiful. Every one of you are created in the image of God. You have worth and you have value. And you are beautiful in the image of God. But the reality is, is that we are broken. So though we are beautiful, we are broken. There's something wrong with me. You're like, yeah. There's something wrong with you. 
We're broken. And when we acknowledge that, it sounds almost kind of, kind of like a paradox, sounds like almost like a contradiction, but when we acknowledge that I'm broken, I'm destitute and I'm bankrupt, then we are in the posture and in the position to receive the blessing of God. And then the kingdom of heaven is yours and it's mine. Admit your need to God to come with empty hands and then he will fill those hands and he will fill your life and he will fill your soul and he'll give you purpose and identity because you know his grace and his righteousness and his mercy. So how do you get into the kingdom? You admit you need the king. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? We're about to sing a song of Lord, I need you. I I hope and pray that that resonates within your soul today that you would truly say, Lord, I need you. I'm lost without you. Even those of you who have professed Jesus as Christ, do you recognize how much you still need Jesus? So are you a part of the kingdom and is the kingdom yours? You better recognize your spiritual condition and see that you are indeed poor in spirit and then you respond accordingly. And so... In a moment when we sing, I'm, I'm going to be right up here. And some of you might be saying, yeah, I think that's true of me, but I've never really declared that. I've never really looked at what that means. I'd love to visit with you. I'd love to pray with you. For others of you, one of the last things that you need to do is just mumble the words along that you see on the screen and begin to think about lunch. You need to go to the, creators of, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and you need to just cry out and say, oh God, I need you. Thank you for your righteousness. Thank you that you are sufficient. Thank you that you fill my lack because I am lacking. I think some of you right now in this room are so tired and so stretched thin. Can I just encourage you in this time of response? Go to the one who can fill you up. Father, I do pray that for every one of us that we would recognize our spiritual condition that we are poor without you and that we need you and I pray this in Jesus name Amen if you all would would you stand take this time to pray take this time to praise but take this time to spend it with the Lord as Michael leads